Thanks for checking out the weekly sermon from Church of the Resurrection. We pray that God will use this message to speak to you and help you grow in your faith journey. We'd like to invite you to join us next week at one of our services, whether in live worship online at court.org live or in person at one of our locations in the Kansas City area. Church of the Resurrection is one church in multiple locations. To learn more about our service times and ministries, please visit Cora.org. We hope you enjoy this message. My name is Cheryl Jefferson Bell. I serve as one of your pastors. And as we continue in worship, I invite you to hear these words of scripture from the Gospel of Luke. One day while he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting nearby. They had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. Just then some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a bed. They were trying to bring him in and lay him before Jesus, but finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the middle of the crowd in front of Jesus. When he saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven you. May God add a blessing to the reading, hearing, and understanding of scripture. Well, today's scripture from the Gospel of Luke, it tells a powerful story of witness, of healing, of, of forgiveness, as Jesus is just at the beginning of his public ministry. And as Jesus is beginning his ministry, what Luke reminds us is that his fame was already spreading. People from all over, from Judea, from Galilee, from Jerusalem, they were pressing in because of Jesus's healing power. And, and today's scripture in particular tells a powerful story where Jesus heals a paralytic man who, who by the help of his friends is, is brought before Jesus by, by lowering him down on a mat through the tiles of a roof so that he could be present to receive uh, a piece of Jesus's healing power. And, and as we remember that story, I think it's important to revisit it because there's something unusual about it and how Jesus actually heals this man. So let's take a look at that scripture just once more. This is what we read in the fifth chapter of Luke. One day while he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting nearby. They had come from every village uh, of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal. Just then some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a bed. They were trying to bring him in and lay him before Jesus, but finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof, let him down with his bed through the tiles into the middle of the crowd in front of Jesus. So you remember what happens next. Jesus, he, he sees this man, his paralytic uh, uh, state, and, and then he, on account of the faith of his friends, goes about and heals this man right there on the spot. But he doesn't use uh, the common vernacular to heal this man. Instead, he says something a little bit unusual. This is what we read as we continue in the story. Luke says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, 
your sins are forgiven you. Jesus forgives this man's sins on account of the faith of his friends. And, and, and this doesn't seem like a big deal to the paralytic, for sure. This doesn't seem like a big deal to the, to the friends of the paralytic, but this is a huge deal for the Pharisees and the religious leaders that were gathered around, that were watching and witnessing Jesus's power and presence. They had problems with this because healing somebody through the forgiveness of their sins was something only God could do. And so it leads them to question Jesus. It leads them to, to wonder about his identity and who he actually was. They begin to see what Jesus is doing and they call it blasphemy. They question Jesus saying, who do you think that you are? And, and Jesus responds to their questions, to their, to their questioning hearts. And, and he, replies asking them these questions. Why do you raise such questions in your hearts? Which is easier to say your sins are forgiven you or to say stand up and walk but so that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. I chose to forgive that man's sins so that you would see who I actually am that I have the power to forgive sins to do what God does. And so he's revealing his identity to these Pharisees who are bent out of shape because he's willing to do the things that God can do, not simply just heal this man of his infirmities. And so after he reveals himself to these Pharisees and describes what he's actually doing and who he is, then he turns to the man who's lying on the mat and he heals him, almost as though it's an afterthought. He says, you know, stand up, take your mat and, and go home. And the man does, and this is an amazing, uh, miraculous healing story. Jesus, for the first time, on account of these friends, uh, he shows that he has the power not only to heal somebody, but to forgive sins as well. And for Jesus, these two things, they become interconnected. They become intertwined. Jesus's forgiveness leads us toward the healing that gives us the ability to carry forward in unimagined ways, to live into a future filled with hope. And, and, and I think this is a beautiful story of healing that reveals God's power for us. In our role as friends to care for each other, to lead people to God's forgiveness and, and healing. And yet that's not what I'm focusing on today. What I want to focus in on today is something that is an important detail to this story, which is the role and the power of these unnamed friends. Because without these unnamed friends, uh, there would be no story. Uh, we wouldn't have this healing story. We wouldn't have this understanding of God's forgiveness and healing as being intertwined. These friends, they were the primary actors uh, of this story and, and their care and their concern and their willingness to do whatever it took to, to lead their friends into a life-changing encounter with Jesus. This is what we need to pay attention to. This is something that we are called to. This is the way that we are employed to live. And I think actually we all long for these kinds of friends in our own lives. This story is a powerful story and it, and it resonates with us because it reveals the power of friendship and when push comes to shove, I think all of us, when we hear a story like this and we look at these friends as the primary actors in this, in this powerful story and instance of Jesus's forgiveness and healing, we long for this kind of friend. Though we might not never say it, we might not never admit that we want to have friends that will act on our behalf, that will care for us and love us, even without our asking. I think we all secretly long for these friends because we recognize uh, the power uh, of friendship. 
I think we're called to be like these friends. I think we're called to, to love one another like these friends. And, and, and I think what I know is that this is something that deeply uh, resonates with each and every one of us. You know, last week I was uh, present in my hometown, uh, in my home state. I was speaking for a whole week in, in Michigan and, and I had some time just to reminisce and to, to get nostalgic. I'm sure you do something like that in your own life from time to time. And, and I found myself thinking about friends and, and thinking about friendship and the role and the power that friendship has had in my life. And, and I was reminiscing. And, and one of the things I was reminiscing about were, were all of the different sitcoms. You see, I was kind of raised in a sitcom era and I was uh, watching a lot of these different sitcoms and, and aware of the most popular sitcoms on, on TV. And, and I was kind of going through the landscape of all of these most popular sitcoms that kind of marked my adolescence and, and my upbringing. And, and I was drawn to a common theme that seemed to run through all of them. And it was the, this theme of, of friendship. We long for friendship. We long for relationships. We long for people to, to care for us, to change us, to make us better. And, and you can see that in, in the most popular sitcoms that we tune into. I was remembering a, a sitcom from my early, early adolescence that, that everybody seemed to watch. And, and, and we were drawn to it because we all wanted to go to a place and to be a part of a community where everybody knew our name. Do you remember this song? Do you remember when everybody watched Cheers, when everybody tuned into this, this sitcom that told the story of a group of people that gathered together in a community bar in a place where everybody knew each other's name, where you would be fully known and you could fully know one another? We watched that show because we longed to be a part of that kind of community to have those kinds of friends. And, and if you weren't familiar and never had the privilege of watching that sitcom, then, then my guess is as I was growing a little older, you tuned into another one, which was one of the most popular sitcoms that was very similar to Cheers, but it talked more about a group of friends that, that would always be there for you, even when the rain starts to pour. Do you remember this one? Most everybody loved watching this group of friends who would frequent Central Perk, drinking their coffee out of these uh, extraordinarily large coffee mugs. And, and we longed for that show because we desired to be in relationships with friends who would be there for us through thick and thin, even when the rain starts to pour. Or maybe you didn't like those friends, but, but, but you were more attentive to a different set of four friends. And, and those four friends, they were comfortable not doing anything. They were a part of a show that was literally about nothing. And yet in the midst of their doing nothing, they found comfort in connection with one another. Maybe you tuned into Seinfeld and you were a fan of George and, and, and Jerry and Elaine and, and Kramer and, and the way that they just lived life together and were most comfortable knowing each other and being known by each other when there was nothing going on. We watch these sitcoms, but there's so many more that continue uh, from that point uh, to where we are right now that all reveal the power of friendship. And we tune into these shows because we long to be in relationship in that very same kind of way. We watch these shows because we desperately long for the power of friendship. I was listening to a speaker this past week, Liz Bohannon at the Global Leadership Summit. And one of the things that she shared is that we long for friendship now, maybe more than ever. The statistic that she shared was that in the last 10 years, the time that we spend with our friends has actually declined 59%. We spend 59% uh, less time with our friends now than we did 10 years ago, which means we have this need. We're becoming increasingly lonely and we have this growing yearning to be in relationship, to be in, uh, engaged in the powerful 
uh, experience a, a friendship. And I think this is why most people like Taylor Swift, if push comes to shove. Maybe you aren't a huge fan of sitcoms, but maybe you love music and maybe you are a Taylor Swift fan. And I, I don't know if you remember, but about a month ago, Taylor Swift, she came with her heiress tour to Kansas City. And do you remember when she was here in Kansas City? It seemed like for two weeks, all we ever heard about was Taylor Swift and, and her Swifties, her, her fans. And, and one weekend, I remember uh, that weekend that she was here in town, I was leaving worship and on my way home, as I was approaching home, there was this giant coach bus that was uh, jam-packed full of teenage girls and their moms. They were these group, a giant group of friends going together to this, to this Taylor Swift concert. And, and one of the things I noticed was, well, this is unusual to see this right like near my home, but, but the other thing I noticed is that all of them were wearing these friendship bracelets all up and down their arms. And, and I was so taken aback by why are they wearing all these friendship bracelets? And, and so this is a big part of, of, of what rests at the heart of Taylor Swift's tour of her fan base. They, they have this, this desire for friendship and to, and to make friends out of strangers. And, and I wasn't aware of that, but I wanted to learn more about that. But there's something appealing about Taylor Swift and her, her music that, that leads us and promotes friendship. So this past week, I talked with Kara Karst, and Kara Karst is a staff member uh, with her husband on our staff team here at Resurrection. Informally, she is our resident Taylor Swift expert, and so I wanted to learn more about this, this idea of friendship that seems to rest in the heart of Taylor Swift's message and, and music and, and concert venue. And so, so Kara was really excited to be able to share all about Taylor Swift, and she said this idea of the friendship bracelet, it came from one of Taylor Swift's songs. Uh, the song was, You Are On Your Own, Kid, and and just as the song title suggests, it's a song about loneliness and, and about the struggle we have uh, with loneliness and, and how challenging it is to, to reach out and to step out and to take risks to make friends. And, and so this song, it's about our, our present day reality, our struggle to be in relationship with friends and, and then to, to be paralyzed by that ability to take that step, to take that risk, to build friendships. And, and so it moves to this crescendo in this song where eventually this lyric comes out and Taylor Swift sings, so make the friendship bracelets, take the moment and taste it. You've got no reason to be afraid. In other words, Taylor Swift in this song says, go for it. Make friends wherever you go. Don't be afraid. And so what happens now at every one of these concerts is that all of these people, they gather together, they go as friends, and they load themselves up with these friendship bracelets. And everywhere they go, before the concert, during the concert, they're finding opportunities to make friends out of strangers. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are, where you're coming from, what you're dressed up like. Uh, everybody everywhere is seeking to make friendships, to share these bracelets. Uh, to exchange these bracelets, to collect these bracelets. Kara shared some of the images of the concert, uh, her concert experience with me, and it was just fascinating to see uh, the different ways that, that she had experienced these bracelets and sharing these bracelets. She's actually collected all of the bracelets that she shared. This is what Kara wrote to me uh, later after we had connected. She said, as an introvert, I made hundreds of bracelets, hoping to join in the fun, but equally anxious about it. There were no rules or guidelines, so we would just walk up to kids and, and teens and adults and, and ask if they'd like a bracelet or, or want to trade. And when I think of community, I, I think of this concert. It's like no matter who you were or what you were wearing or how long you'd been a fan, it didn't matter because you belonged. And as the show was about to begin and the crowd was reeling with anticipation, I looked around and I felt like this must be a little glimmer of what heaven is like. We're all just people strangers, but we have a common love celebrating a special moment in our lives. And, and the performance was phenomenal, but the experience with our new 70,000 friends 
made it extra special. Here's an image of, of Kara from the show. And what I loved about this image was you can see all of the people with these bracelets on gathered together, like drawn to this place with their hands raised in the air, longing uh, to build friendship. And, and as Kara was talking with me about her experience of, of Taylor Swift and, and this group of, of strangers coming together, becoming friends, longing to be engaged in, in relationship, I, I thought that's exactly how we should be talking about the church. I mean, this is the kind of thing that, that Christ calls us to. Jesus sought to go everywhere he went and, and he would see strangers, turn them into friends. He, he longed for us to love others in the very same way. I think the church is, is poised and a part of our mission is to facilitate friendships, to draw people together as diverse as they may be, as different as we may feel. We're called to draw together strangers to introduce them to this picture of what it looks like to cultivate friendship because there is power in friendship. Jesus longs for us to do this. And, and you know that because of the end of the gospel of John. At the end of the gospel of John, at, at the end of Jesus's ministry, so three years after that moment where he heals the paralytic man on the faith of his friends, moments after that, three years after that, Jesus preparing for his last supper with his disciples, he turns to them and he, and he gives them this new commandment. And this new commandment uh, reorients our lives and our call in light of a love shared between friends. This is what Jesus says in John 15 to the disciples. He says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. And then he goes on to tell the disciples, and, and you are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer because the servant does not know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my father. I love this. Jesus, he, he shares after the Last Supper is over, this new commandment with his disciples, and he shares with them their new identity. He calls them, he calls us his friends. And then he describes for us how it is that we're called to live forward as friends. We are commanded to love one another the same way that Jesus loves us as his friends. By this will be known. By this will be able to carry forward into this future filled with hope. By this will be able to offer and lead people to forgiveness and, and healing. This becomes our identity. This becomes our reorientation. This becomes our new relationship model. We are called to love like Jesus, to make friends out of strangers everywhere it is that we go. And I was thinking about this story in light of the earlier story. And I was thinking about why did Jesus wait three whole years into his public ministry to finally share with his disciples their identity? Why did he wait to tell them that, that they were his friends until this last supper? Like, why did it take so long? And why now? I was thinking about that largely because the disciples three years earlier, about the time that Jesus healed the, the paralytic man, he had called them. They were strangers and he invited them to, to come and to follow him. And, and, and the disciples, they weren't, uh, you know, friends. They were strangers. He called these different people, 12 different people from 12 different vocations, from, from all these different families and familiar settings and, and occupations. And he was calling all of them as different as they were to, to follow him, to be together with him. They held nothing in common uh, except that they all responded to the invitation. They all had this devotion to Jesus and, and that devotion led them in the same kind of way away from the familiar. It led them away from their families, away from their uh, familiar friends, away from those places that, that they were known and they knew others fully. 
And so for three years, these, these, these people, these disciples, these, these strangers, they were on this tour with Jesus, following him around, set apart from all of their familiar family and, and friends and, and, and settings and, and vocations. And they were just following Jesus on tour publicly as they were watching him and, and, and listening to him teach and, and witnessing him perform these healing, miraculous miracles. And, and they were watching him do all of these things in the Galilee that we just talked about in this most recent sermon series. They watched as he calmed the wind and the waves. They watched as he cast out demons. They, they watched as he, he loosened and forgave sins and, and visited the, I mean, they watched as he did all of these different things. The whole while being separate from his family. For three years, they did this. And then Jesus at this last supper, three years into this tour, this wild and and amazing experience, he sets them down for this last supper. They didn't know it was going to be his last supper until he told them that he was going to now go and depart from them as well. He said it was time for him to go, to surrender, to ultimately die and to leave them. Which meant at this last supper, These disciples who had been separated from their families and friends and all things familiar for three years, now were losing Jesus. And so Jesus, in the wake of that news, looks at them and says, you are now my friends. And then he gives them this commandment and he says, I need you now to to love one another the, the way that I loved you, to love one another as friends. Because there is power in friendship. Friendship would be their lifeline that would carry them forward. Friendship would be what sustains them and and inspires them and and leads them to forgiveness, but also to healing, to to strengthen them, to carry forward, even when things are uncertain. This is what friendship does. This is how friendship works. Friendship, the love of friends in this community uh, is the disciples, is our uh, lifeline. The power of friendship is is something that looks like uh, filling in where there are are empty gaps. Friendships uh, are second circle. Friendships fill in for family when when family is lost, when when we are distant by geography, when we are shunned for who we are, when we, we are up to our ears in work that others cannot understand. Friends fill in for those who cannot understand. Catherine Faith McLean, she writes, friends shorten the distance to the heart. They embrace the authentic. They hold the baby. They listen. And and most importantly, they love. Friendship became the lifeline for these disciples. Their willingness to love one another the way that Jesus loved them would carry them forward when everything else seemed to be lost. Love one another the way that I first loved you, says Jesus. You are my friends uh, when you do this. So moments after Jesus, he breathes his last, uh, the disciples, they actually do what, what Jesus commanded them to do. They, they stick together. They stay close to one another. They don't go to Cheers. They, they don't go to Central Perk. Instead, they go to the upper room and they, and they gather there together. They comfort each other. They care for each other. They support each other. They, they love each other. They don't abandon one another, but they stick together. And as they stick together, what happens is the Spirit meets them. The Holy Spirit fills that room and then it pushes them outside of their comfort zone so that they can then go and share that same love uh, out with the world, to meet others the same way that Jesus met them, to love others the same way that Jesus uh, loved them. And so they go and they start to share this, this love with the world around them. And they start to change the world through the power of friendship. 
and loving relationship. This is what Luke records toward the end of the second chapter of of Acts. He says, those who welcomed his message, they were baptized. And in that day, about 3,000 persons were added to their number. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and, and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Awe came upon everyone because of the many wonders and signs that were being done. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and they would distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, they spent much time together in the temple. They, they broke bread at home. They ate their food with glad and generous hearts. They were praising God and having the goodwill of all of the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. I, I love reading the account of these first churches because it gives us a picture Uh, of the rhythms and and the life together and the love shared between these earliest Christian communities, which were nothing more than these small groups of friends. And and they were defined by their, by their devotion. They were defined by their, their practices, their loving practices. And, and these are the things that define them. They were devoted to the studying of scripture. They were devoted to fellowship, meaning they were devoted to one another. They were devoted to prayer in the temple, to worship, to a larger community. And they were devoted to the breaking of bread together sharing and supper. Life together was rooted in the practices of these four things and and it defined them. It was visible and it drew people to them. Robert Wall, who is a noted biblical scholar, he explains that the earliest Christian communities were fellowships of believers who shared more than common beliefs and core values. They displayed a a loving desire to care for one another's spiritual and physical uh, well-being as a community of friends. They cared for one another as friends. And and because of how they lived and loved and and cared for each other as friends, uh, people were drawn to them. Acts reminds us that awe came upon everyone because of the many wonders and signs that were being done. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. This was the beginning of the church. They were changing the world by having the courage to love one another uh, like friends. This is the pathway toward God's forgiveness and ultimately healing in a future filled with hope. This is the power of friendship. This is the purpose of, of our church. It's to create these kinds of communities where, where people can, can not anymore be strangers, but they can actually become engaged as friends, to be engaged in, in communities that are full of loving relationships that facilitate an encounter with the living God where we can find healing and forgiveness in a future filled with hope. One of the things that we recognize about our church is one of the ways that we try to facilitate these encounters or, or to facilitate these moments or spaces where, where strangers can forge new friendships is, is through our adult discipleship ministry area. And through our adult discipleship, we have all sorts of opportunities to, to pull together and to invite people into these kinds of communities through our small group ministry. But it's not just small group ministries. It's all sorts of different kinds of group ministries. We have men's groups and women's groups and disciple Bible studies and Sunday school classes and grief groups and recovery groups and, and other Bible studies and classes as well. But, but this is the time of year in adult discipleship where we are inviting people to gather together in these small group communities so that these strangers from all over the place with different uh, worldviews and ages and, and stages and experiences can come together to experience the power of friendship, to facilitate an encounter with the living God so that we might all together experience forgiveness and healing and live into a picture of the future filled with hope. 
And so when we think about what it looks like to engage in small groups, most of us, when we hear the word small groups, we roll our eyes and we begin to think about this, this awkward encounter that involves other people. And whenever we think about an encounter that involves other people, we think, well, other people are weird. We're not weird, of course, but other people are weird. And, and so we roll our eyes. I don't want to be a part of that with these weird people. And, and, and then if we don't think that because we're a little bit more kind or compassionate, then what we think about is, well, that's just another thing to, to add to an already busy schedule of all sorts of other things. And so we don't take the time to to do those things. But I would say small group community, making friends uh, with, 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 with strangers is, is what we actually crave. It's what we long for. Loneliness is more rampant now than ever before. We find healing and forgiveness through the faith of our friends. This is what we're yearning for, maybe now more than ever. And so we need to pay attention. And so our church cries, tries to create spaces to facilitate these kinds of encounters, these kinds of communities. And now is the time that we open and roll all of our small group uh, opportunities and, and offerings. And I want to challenge you to consider being a part of one. I mean, this is what drives us. It inspires us. It fuels us. It also helps us to become better. And so rather than watching sitcoms about friends or, or going to concerts to experience the power of friendship there, I want to invite you to consider being a part of one of our small groups as they enroll in an open uh, this fall. You know, this past week, I, I connected with several people who are engaged in small groups and started them uh, the last go around a, a year ago, uh, just this fall. And, and, uh, and I had a chance to talk with Jamie Kernigan and, and Jamie shared her experience of her small group that actually launched, hers launched in December with me. And she, she shared her experience of it with me this past week. And, and I was taken aback by how she described her group and, and, and the makeup of her group. And, and she described her group as a group of leftovers. She said, I was matched with a hodgepodge of people. Nobody really fit together at all. There were different ages. There were different stages. Some of my small group members were married. Some were single. Some with kids. Others were without kids. Boil it all down. She said, we were just strangers. And so I asked her, how, how, how was it that it, it had changed her, this small group? Or how has it changed them? And, and, and she then replied to me. She said, it's been a year now. And we've grown close to one another. That we've, we've fit together and and now we're serving alongside one another in, in ministries. She said, just this past weekend, we served together at a respite event through our foster and adopt ministry here at Resurrection. And she said, it was so awesome. These strangers who I, who I didn't know, uh, you know, earlier in the year, we're now growing together in our faith. We know each other to the point that we're serving together alongside one another as friends. This is a picture of just a small portion of our group. I said, don't you have a picture of your whole group? And she said, no, we don't think to take pictures. We're, we're so engaged with each other every time we gather together. And this is the power of, of taking that step, of strangers becoming friends, of growing in their life of faith, of finding forgiveness, but also experiencing healing that sets us free in a new way to walk home uh, in a new direction. This is her experience, and I, I, I took her word for it, but I wanted to talk to some other people in her small group to see their experience as well. And I, I connected with another person in her small group. Her name was Malia, and, and she was describing her decision-making process that led her into this small group. And, and she described a, a state and a period of her life uh, at, at the turn of the year where she was uh, ready to risk everything. There was nothing holding her back anymore. She had nothing to lose. She, she had just lost her, her second parent and felt alone. And so she decided to, to take an invitation and, and to move into this church. She'd never been a part of a church before. She had never been a part of our church ever, but she, she received an invitation to join a group. And so she took that step with nothing to lose. And she actually joined a grief group. 
And she was looking for uh, support. She was looking for encouragement and she was looking for companions uh, who would accompany her on her journey. And that grief group uh, gave her the confidence then to take a step to join uh, Jamie's small group. And and then what she found was the ability to connect with strangers, to grow in her faith, to to begin to expand in her connection to worship and and service and and small groups and all these different kinds of things. And, And she talked about how this community has given her hope, belonging. It's changed her because she knows that she's not alone, that there's people with her always. And, and they've helped her to recognize the power of Jesus who promises to love us in the same way, in a way that never leaves us so that we know we're never alone. And because of that, we have hope to carry forward into the future without fear. She described how this group of strangers had become friends and those friends facilitated this encounter that has changed her, that has given her hope to press forward. I was thinking about her journey and I was thinking about all of our journeys. We all have these different places that we're coming from. And, and what I acknowledge is it's hard to enter into a small group community. It's hard to take that step, to take a risk, to make friends. It's hard to put on friendship bracelets and to invite people to join us. But I'm gonna tell you, this is what we were created for. This is what we need. The power of friendship leads us and facilitates for us an encounter with the living God that changes us and transforms us. And it makes us better. In Genesis, the God of the universe, he acknowledges that it's not good that the human is alone. What that means is relationships are essential to our wholeness, to our, to our well-being. We are better together. The disciples, it took them getting through the Last Supper to understand this. Friendship was their lifeline and it fueled their ability to carry forward, to, to give rise to the church by the power of the Holy Spirit. They could have stayed cloistered together, but they decided to, to use each other's strength that love that fueled them forward to go out into the world to begin loving one another the same way uh, that Jesus first loved them. They engaged with strangers, turned them into friends, built these communities that began to attract people so that thousands were added to their number. And this is what God calls us to do, to push past our discomfort, to take a risk. He calls us out to go and do likewise, to love one another the same way that he loves us. And this looks like finding strangers and engaging in communities until they might become friends so that together we might experience the grace of Jesus Christ. And so I'm gonna challenge you, if you're not a part of a small group, to join one, to become a part of of this fall's new small group class. And and you can do that by going to core.org slash next. And and you can find all sorts of registrations for small groups at all of our locations, even our online locations. You can also, at any one of our in-person locations, you can go and you can uh, visit somebody who is sitting in the lobby who is waiting to invite you so that you can experience community and the power of friendship that ultimately leads us to the living God, to this picture and this power of healing and forgiveness that will change us and make us better. And my hope is that together we're going to experience uh, the power of friendship to grow in, in our faith and to change the world on account of God's love for us. And my prayer is that we would do that today. In Jesus' name, would you pray with me? Gracious God, we pause and we thank you for the gift of this day and this time together and for drawing us into a space where we can think about our desire to be in relationship, to build communities of friends out of strangers, to experience your love that never lets us go and to be encouraged by it so that we might have the boldness to do the same thing, to love others the same way that you love us as friends. 
And so guide us this day, lead us this day, uh, inspire us this day to take a step in our life of faith to grow closer with you, with each other, and in ministry to the whole world. Do all of that we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for watching this week's sermon. We'd love for you to join us again for live worship online or in person. To learn more about Church of the Resurrection, please visit core.org. Have a great week and we'll see you next time.